The following is audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you would like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org. Today we have been using this theme for our uh, celebrations this season. Our God forgives sins and saves sinners. What a what a wonderful message that is. That's been God's plan even before creation. We're told in 1 Peter 1.20 that the Father, the Son, and the Spirit devised this plan before the universe was created, before the universe was spoken into creation. The, the Son agreed to be the Savior. And then in the Garden of Eden, right after they fall into sin, the prediction, the first prediction of the coming of the Savior is given that he, the seed of the woman, will crush Satan's head. And, and what a blessing it is that we get to celebrate our God forgives sins and saves sinners. If you know, like I know of myself, that you're a sinner, you came to the right place. <laughs> you, you came to the exact right place because God is still transforming lives. He's still forgiving sins and saving sinners. He's setting captives free. He, he, he's helping those who are overwhelmed with sorrow to experience peace. He, he's giving, in place of the grief, joy. And so we are here to celebrate. And today, we are going to look into the life of a terrorist whose life was transformed. It's amazing how clearly we see this in Scripture. He was present when Stephen was martyred, the first martyr who laid down his life for the gospel. And he heard Stephen say, Father, forgive him for they don't know what they're doing. You know, he, he heard that. And then he participated in the persecution that followed. <clears throat> it says in Acts 8, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem, and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. God had a plan to get the gospel out, and it involved persecution. That's a rather strange plan, isn't it? The reason the gospel went all over the Roman Empire is because the believers in Jerusalem were persecuted and they went out and they shared the good news wherever they went. So this guy was a part of that. And then while he was on a mission to arrest more believers, he met the Lord Jesus Christ. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly... A light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. He replied, now get up and go to the city, and you will be told what you must do. Imagine the drama of this. He is on his way to persecute Christians, and now he's told that as he's persecuting them who believe on the Lord Jesus, it's like persecuting Jesus. Jesus identifies and, and feels the persecution when we're mocked, when we're insulted, even when we lay down our lives or are arrested, as is described here. And so his life was changed, and he believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And he, he, his life was totally changed. Immediately, he began to preach. This is, this is amazing when you think about it. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus. At once, I looked it up, you know what it means? At once. 
he began to preach in the synagogues that Jesus is the Son of God. Hallelujah. All who heard him were astonished. That means their dentures fell out. <laughs> they were shocked. They were shocked. Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on this name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? And of course, the answer to those questions is yes. Yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. He knew the Old Testament. I can assure you, Saul of Tarsus knew the Old Testament. And he immediately saw the, the application and the fulfillment in Jesus Christ, and he began to proclaim it. And so he eventually, in his journeys, comes to the city of Corinth. And here's a picture of what it looks like today. But this is the same stones that he walked on when he came into the city of Corinth. Now, Corinth had been destroyed. And then just before the turn, around 27 B.C. or so, Julius Caesar rebuilt it. And it became a huge city. And it was very, very wealthy, and, and there was a lot of commerce there. There was also a lot of paganism there. It was a very corrupt place. And when Paul went there, it's around 50 AD, he began to preach, and he established a church, helped establish or plant a church in the city of Corinth. And uh, one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid, keep on speaking, do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one is going to attack and harm you because I have many people in this city. Isn't that glorious? Many people would come to know Jesus Christ through Paul's preaching in the city of Corinth. So Paul stayed in Corinth for a year and a half teaching them the word of God. By the way, when you come to Fellowship Community Church, that's what we do. We teach the word of God because we believe it's the word, the eternal word of God that changes lives whether it's in a Sunday school class or whether it's in a life group or the children or this, the young adult, everybody. We teach the Word of God, and that's exactly what Paul was doing in Corinth. So about five years later, 55 A.D., let's say, Paul sat down and wrote a letter. And it seems that the church had been infiltrated by people who were denying any resurrection at all. And so also denying the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so Paul finds himself having to defend the resurrection to the believers that were in uh, Corinth. And he says uh, in his argument in 1 Corinthians 15, for if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep or died in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people to be most pitied. Most pitied. Because we're saying God did something he didn't do. But then he goes on to say, but Christ has indeed been raised from 
the dead. So he is very certain that this happened. And in this chapter, as we're going to uncover it, I wish I had time to preach the whole chapter. And since we're not on a time constraint, as Ed just told us, maybe we should. But we won't do that, all right? I promise we won't. But, but it's a glorious chapter. You should read it and reread it and believe it. See? So in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul gives us three assurances based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. The past, the historic record, is accurate. The future, our resurrection, is guaranteed. In the present, faith in Jesus is rewarded. How could he be so certain? Because of these assurances. That's what he's telling us. So let's dive in. The historic record is accurate. For what I received, <clears throat> I passed on to you as of first importance. Paul received this from Jesus, but he also received it from the eyewitnesses who had walked with Jesus, the, uh, the other apostles and, and others. And he received it, and he believed it to be true. And he's now passing it on, he says, to the church at Corinth, and it's first importance. Of all the things that can be written or said, this is of first importance. And so he recites four basic historic facts about the life of Jesus Christ. That's where he starts. That's where he is. And he says, this is the gospel. First of all, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Christ Jesus died. Yes, he died. There is never a place in the gospels where it says that he fell asleep or something like that. It's always clearly stated he died. He was dead. And he died for our sins. Now, what's so exciting about that is the preposition. I don't know. I know we're back to grammar. But honestly, for means in our place. It means for our sake. This is such a great preposition. For our sins, in our place, he died. And that all was according to the scriptures. So he is going back to the Old Testament. And he's saying, what was foretold about a suffering Savior, like in Isaiah 53 or Psalm 22, has now been fulfilled. He died for our sins, according to the Scriptures. This is a truth affirmed by the eyewitnesses, but also by the Old Testament Scripture. And that's what he so very clearly tells us. He died, and he was buried. He was buried. Now, if he hadn't died on the cross, which I believe he did, he certainly would have died when they embalmed him. They wrapped him, they put spices on him, and they wrapped him up. He certainly would have been dead after that. And then they placed him in the tomb, as you know. He was buried. Peter says in his first sermon at Pentecost that David predicted this, but we could go to David's grave but now, if we go to Jesus' grave, it's empty. Because, what? He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. He died, he was buried, he was raised. Raised becomes the key technical term for resurrection. He was raised. And God was the one who raised him. The Father raised him. He raised himself. The Spirit raised him. All were involved in this glorious resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And then it says next that that too, that resurrection was according to Scriptures. Jesus had predicted it. 
It had, been, it had been said in the scriptures that this would be the case. In fact, when the Pharisees and the chief priests, after he died, went to Pilate, they said, now listen, we've got to secure the tomb because he said he would rise again on the third day. See? So, so they knew that, and the people knew that. He had said it, and it had been predicted. In fact, in Matthew 12, he says, okay, you want a sign? I'll give you a sign. The sign of Jonah. As Jonah was in the belly of the great fish for three days, the Son of Man will be in the ground, and then he'll rise again. And oh, by the way, when <laughs> the prophet Jonah went to Nineveh, they repented, which was a rebuke of the people of his day when they weren't repenting at his preaching. He was buried, he rose again the third day, and then finally, the last fact, he appeared. He appeared in his glorified, resurrected human body, he appeared. And it was a real body. And it's a glorified, resurrected human body. And he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then to the 12. And after that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time. Think about that. Paul is saying this clearly. You can have a vision of a few people maybe, but not 500 at the same time. And they, they saw him. And then, by the way, he just adds this, and I love it. He says, um, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. In other words, if you want to check it out, we got eyewitnesses. We got people who saw him. Remember, this is 55 AD. They still were living. They could still testify that they had seen the glorified, resurrected Jesus Christ. The facts are true. The facts are real. And he says, then he appeared to James, who was his brother, became the leader of the church in Jerusalem, then all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me as to one abnormally born. It's like, I was the last, <laughs> but it's real. That experience on the Damascus Road was real. He saw the risen Jesus Christ. He testified to it to the very end, as they all did to these facts. They all gave their lives. In 65 AD, Paul's head was removed from his body by the Romans, but he still believed. None of them said, oh, no, no, we made it up. Mm -mm, not a one of them. They went all over the world. Thomas ends up in India preaching the gospel. I mean, they went out. You remember Thomas. I love Thomas because he asked the question, wait a minute, I got to see it to believe it, right? And Jesus appears, says, go ahead, touch me. And he goes, uh-uh. <laughs> he doesn't need to touch the risen Christ. He just falls down and says, my Lord and my God. He believed on him. And then Jesus said the most precious thing that I remember every Sunday, but especially this one. He said, Thomas, you believe because you've seen, but blessed are those who have not seen and yet believed. And that's me. I have not seen him in his glorified, resurrected body, but I believe he's in one. And he's seated at the right hand of the Father, and he defeated death and sin. And so Paul says, this is my testimony, uh, for I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But, don't you love buts in the Bible? But, but by the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. It had its intended effect in my life. No, I worked harder than all of them, the other 12, yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Hallelujah. It's grace. If you know Christ today, it's by grace. 
You didn't earn it. Nobody else bought it for you. You didn't inherit it. No, it's by grace. It's by the free grace of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. That we are transformed. And it is based on this glorious, glorious message. In the first century, the Roman historian Taxius recorded that Jesus had died, but he didn't talk about the scriptural fulfillment. But it was still an established fact of that time. Paul is accurate in telling us all the historic links of the basic facts that Jesus died for our sins according to Scripture, that he was buried, that he rose again according to the Scriptures, and then that he appeared. All of this is accurate. And then we go to the end of the chapter, and look at this. Our future resurrection is guaranteed. Woo! That's worth it. He is risen. Amen. Amen. It's a mystery. Our bodies will be changed. Woo! I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You can't go into heaven in the present body you're living in. You, you won't make it. You can't get there that way. It's going to take a transformation. Nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Uh, by the way, this body is perishing. Right? And when it dies, it's going to perish and decay even more, even further. So the perishable cannot inherit the imperishable. Listen. Listen. I tell you a mystery. This is a sacred secret that the believers in Christ know. It's not a, I hope so, I hope it'll happen. Mm -mm, I know it's going to happen. We will not all sleep. We're not all going to die, but we all will all be changed. Hallelujah. We're not all going to die. I like that. Okay? But we're all going to be changed. We have to be. If we're going to go into heaven, we're going to have to be changed, and we will. Look at this. Very, how's it going to happen? Verse 52. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, how long does it take your eye to twinkle? A moment. Guys, remember when you saw that girl? Mm -hmm. Twinkle in your eye. Remember? Gals, do you remember? You saw him twinkle in the eye. It's a momentary thing. It's instantaneous, yet it's going to last forever. At the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised, imperishable, and we will be changed. Notice, Paul includes himself. He expects to be raptured out, because that's what he's talking about. 1 Thessalonians 4, we're going to be caught up together with them in the clouds in the air. You know, that's the beautiful message of the gospel. Cemetery comes from a Greek word that means to sleep, Bodies are sleeping in cemeteries waiting for the trumpet. I don't know if it'll sound like that, but it'll sound like a trumpet. Right? And the trumpet is the sound of God gathering his people together. Hallelujah. And when the trumpet sounds, the dead in Christ will be raised first, and then we too will be changed. We'll be put into a glorified, resurrected human body. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable and the mortal with immortality. Amen. Amen. I heard about a young preacher visited an older gal, and she was getting older, and her health was failing. And he was just new at this, and he talking to her, and he ventured into the fact that there was going to be a funeral. 
And she said, yes. And she said, when I'm buried, I want to be buried with a fork in my hand. <laughs> what? He a new preacher. He, he didn't hear about this in seminary, you know. He, he said, well, why do you want a fork in your hand? She said, because every time we have a church supper, they tell you to keep the fork because then dessert is coming. <laughs> she said, so I want everybody to know, even though I'm dead, I'm holding a fork. The best is yet to come. Hallelujah, see? That's the message. That's the glorious hope. That's the certain hope. A mystery. Our bodies will be changed. And then he says a victory. Death is swallowed up. There it is. It's not today. This is yet on God's calendar. It's an already but not yet truth. All right? It's going to come. When the perishable has been clothed in the imperishable and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. When you're standing in your glorified, resurrected body, death's been swallowed up in victory. You'll know it. <laughs> There'll be no doubt about it. Now, that's a quote, actually, from Isaiah 25. And in Isaiah's version, it's God who gives the victory. It's very plain. God is the one who's going to give us the victory. He's going to swallow up. Death swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh, death, is your victory? Where, O oh, death, is your sting? Is a quote from Hosea, another prophet. And in Hosea, again, it says God's the one who's going to redeem us. God's the one who's going to give us victory over death. And then Paul goes on to explain this, and I think this is very important, and I'm sure you do too. The sting of death is sin. There was no death. There wasn't going to be death. In the Garden of Eden, they could have lived forever. But because they chose to sin and defy God's word, death came in. And immediately they felt it spiritually, for they were hiding from God. But then they died. Now, in their case, Adam and Eve, they lived for a long, long time. But they did die. The sting of death is sin. It's sin that brought death. The wages of sin is death. Scripture says. And every time someone dies physically, it's a reminder of the sin that caused this. The power of sin is the law. The law doesn't help me. The, knowing the law, knowing the standards of God doesn't help you. Know why, help me. You know why? I can't keep it. I don't do it. I break the law. I fall short of the glory of God in sin. And that's true for all of us. The power of sin is the law. That's why we need a Savior. The thing the law does for us, it convinces us we need a Savior. Because we can't save ourselves. We can't buy our way. We can't earn our way. We need a Savior who was without sin and paid for our sins. Remember, he died for our sins according to the scriptures. Now, every time I look at this verse, and every time I preach this text, I come back to an old illustration. So if you've heard it before, just be happy for the guests. All right? Because it's such a great illustration, I gotta tell it. I can't help myself. Dr. DeHaan founded a ministry called Our Daily Bread. We hand out our daily bread often. Many of us read our daily bread. He was a doctor. He was a physical doctor. He had two sons, Richard and Marvin. Marvin was the oldest. Richard was the younger son. 
One day they're out in the field playing in the grass, and all of a sudden a bee stings Marvin. And of course he screams. And then the same old bee goes after Richard, the younger son. And Richard's crying, he's kicking, he's crying, carrying on. Doctor says, come over here, listen. You don't need to fear that bee. Why? Because your brother took the sting. And he went over and he pulled the stinger out of Marvin's flesh. He said, that bee can scare you. He can buzz around your head. He can never defeat you. He can't sting you. Your brother took the sting. Jesus Christ took the sting. You see, so there's now therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no fear of death because now one day when we stand in our resurrected bodies, we'll say, where's your victory? Death. <laughs> where's your sting? Jesus took it. So that's why Paul concludes this with this great statement. Thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ because he is risen Amen. That's right. See? And that's why we have this certain hope that this is going to be our experience. We didn't earn it. It's a gift from God, but it's certain. It's certain. There's no guarantee after life without Jesus Christ. There's no certainty. Jesus is the only one that ever rose from the dead and then appeared, as we already have read and, and know to be true, by faith. So what do we do in the present? We stand on our faith. That's what we do. Look at the very first verses. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received. You took it as your own. You say, yeah, I believe that. that that's for me. I believe it. And on which you've taken your stand. In Corinth, with all the paganism and all the immorality and all the corruption, they took their stand on the gospel. By this gospel you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you, otherwise you believed in a vain. But Paul believed they would stand firm. He believed they would persevere in their faith, no matter how much they were tested or ridiculed or mocked. So he says, take your stand, stand on it. And then at the very end of the chapter, the book ends of the chapter, he says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. He says it again, stand firm, let nothing move you. Don't chase after some other message. Don't look for some other savior. Don't go down to the temple, uh, you know, and offer a sacrifice. That's worthless. Keep your stand. Stay on Christ. Stay with Christ. Don't we need that message today? Don't we need that message right now ourselves? Yes, we do. And it's still true. We take our stand. We let nothing move us. And we always give ourselves fully to the work of the Lord because we know that when we work for the Lord, it will be rewarded. It's not in vain. You give a cold glass of water to somebody in Jesus' name, it's going to be remembered. It'll be rewarded. Every little thing, every little sacrifice, anything you do for the glory of Jesus Christ, wash the dishes, brothers. Remember that? We talked about that a few weeks ago. That solves all marriage issues. Anyway, um, do it as unto the Lord, and it will be remembered. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord. Because it is not in vain. So, this word comes from Jim Elliott, a great missionary who died many years ago. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Even if you give your life, you can't hold on to your life on this planet anyway, you give it for Christ, 
you'll never lose the reward. It's yours forever. And so Paul concluded with his testimony in his letter to Paul, to Timothy. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I'm the worst, Paul says. I'm the very worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience as an example for those who would believe in him and receive eternal life. If I was to paraphrase what Paul's saying, it's this. If God could save me, he could save anybody. That's what Paul's saying. I was a persecutor. I was a terrorist. I, I was an angry, violent man in other places, he says. But Jesus Christ came down and forgave my sins and saved my life. So he can do it for anybody. He can do it for you. He can do it for you. He can do it for anyone at any time when they believe. It's, and that's all that's required. God forgives sins and he saves sinners. And all that's required is that we believe on Christ. So what's your story? Uh, how about I tell you my story? I was 17 years old. I was a member of the church. I had joined a few years before and I was away on a retreat. Frankly, I didn't want to go on the retreat. But God wanted me on the retreat. <laughs> it was the 70s. Now, that's the 1970s. <laughs> because a little while back, a couple of sermons ago, I told you I was born in the 1600s. <laughs> and my grandson, I was up visiting him, and he's seven years old. And he said, Poppy, you were not born in the 1700s. When was I born? 1957. Okay, good. So then I really tested him. So when was grandma born? 1925. He knew it. <laughs> he come up to me after the last sermon and reminded me that he was right again. All right. Well, so it was the 70s. I was a teenager, 17 years old. Gathered with a group of my friends on a retreat in the Pocono Mountains. The pastor said, I want to know where you're at with Jesus. Now, that was the 70s. We talked like that in the 70s. I want to know where you're at with Jesus. Suddenly, as I sat there, I realized that even though I was a member of the church, even though I had believed the facts of the gospel, I'd never really personally trusted in Christ to pay the debt for my sins. That all became very real to me in the moment. I, I knew the gospel. I'd heard it many times. I just hadn't believed on Christ. And there's a difference, okay? And so in a, with my peers, I just bowed, and I asked the Lord to forgive my sins and give me the gift of eternal life, and I thought I was coming back to the Lord. When I prayed like that, things changed. I couldn't believe, and it was like I'd never been here before. <laughs> So maybe that would be your story. You know, Paul's conversion is so dramatic that he's on the Damascus Road, but it doesn't have to be dramatic. It can be just as real and be very simple, but very real. Have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ? That's the key question. That's why we celebrate today. He is risen. That's right. Because he's risen, we know the facts are true. They are accurate. They were tested by eyewitnesses. These people gave their lives believing it. They also know that the future is guaranteed, that we're going to be in a glorified, resurrected body. For everyone who believes, that's what we're going to experience. 
And so what are we going to do? We're going to believe it. We're going to stand on it. We're going to let nothing move us. We're going to continue in the work of the Lord. If you've never believed, believe today. You know, I'd stay the rest of the afternoon if I need to. I won't do it to you. But honestly, my desire, my heart's desire, God knows, has been that everybody in this room really knows the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're not sure, make sure today. Make sure today. Don't put it off any longer. Make today the day that you know. Write it down in your Bible. Today I trusted Jesus Christ. Write it down. Remember it forever. Don't say no. Don't say no. Dear Lord, thank you for this glorious day. Thank you for the glorious truth that you died for our sins according to the scripture, that you were buried, that you rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and then you appeared. Thank you, Lord, for the hope we have of eternal life with you in a glorified, resurrected body, and thank you for a reason to live. I just pray for everybody in the room, and if you're in the room right now and you've never really trusted Christ, you thought you did, maybe you're a member of a church or even a member of this church, I have led people to Christ who were members of my churches because they had never trusted Christ. Trust him today. Don't rely on anything else but Christ alone. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you'll be saved. You'll be forgiven of all your sins, and you'll be given the gift of eternal life that will never end. A relationship with God begins the moment you believe. Thank you, Lord, for this glorious day and this glorious message. Help us as we sing our way out. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to audio from Fellowship Community Church in Centennial, Colorado. If you'd like more resources or want to support this ministry, please visit www.fcchurch.org.